G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. I was grabbed from behind by a police officer and I was arrested and I was put into a cell for a little bit. I was released and then when I got home, uh, I walked into a house that I was still welcome in and my dad actually took off his clerical collar and put it on the table and just said, Tim, I'm with you in this as your dad. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, when Tim Lovell was a pastor, his job description read like any other pastor. But it also included a few things out of the ordinary, like lifeguarding, teaching swimming lessons and pastoring rock musicians. This was because over the years, Tim had developed a unique model for a church to operate. Today, Tim will share the experiences that have shaped his life and have contributed to his unique approach to ministry. Tim Lovell is chatting with Eric Scatterbone. Tim Lovell, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Nice to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And you're joining us from your home on the Sunshine Coast. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now, I'm interested to learn about how lifeguarding and teaching swimming lessons was part of being a pastor. But first, let's find out a little bit about your background and what led up to this unique role as a pastor. Where did it all start? Uh, Well, many years ago, uh, being in my my 50s now. (laughs) I uh, I was actually raised in a uh, Christian home. My dad was uh, an Anglican minister mm-hmm. um, down in the greater Sydney area. And so I grew up on the pews of an Anglican church. But, you know, with a, a, a great love for my dad, uh, church just didn't really connect with me. I think it was part of the routine of what we did. Mm-hmm. And I had, I think, glimpses of the faith journey along the way, but in the end, it really was a bit of a disconnect for me um, until I left Australia in my very early 20s and actually encountered Jesus when I was traveling. I did the world travel thing. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to your teenage years. What uh, was life like at home with an Anglican minister for a dad? (laughs) My my dad is uh, great. In fact, He's, in a lot of ways, I don't know that he was your classic um, Anglican minister, but we we had a great relationship, uh, not perfect as any home would be, but I think as four boys, I'm one of those four. Uh, we were larrikins in our own ways, um, probably pushed at the extremes of a few different things, and uh, I just discovered a dad who in the tensions of pastoring a church community and raising four wayward boys, he showed an incredible amount of grace um, towards us, even, I think, in in the battle of reconciling pastoring a church and pastoring your sons. So even though you had this admiration for your father, you didn't want to follow in his footsteps and be a man of faith yourself? Uh, what's really interesting, I remember the conversation, but a fellow who lived up the street from us, one day I was walking along 
the footpath with him and he actually said to me so are you going to be the one that follows in your dad's footsteps and i was like there's no way there's no way i'm going to become a minister and uh it's funny i look back now and i think uh, i wonder what you know if god just sort of raised his eyebrows like we'll see (laughs) (laughs) or maybe he knew something at that point yeah i think he probably did but my my dad was i mean i i remember times along the way that uh, he was incredibly gracious that that stick out to me and i know have shaped the way that i now do ministry or Mm. live ministry and I, i i know a lot of people thought that he was probably lenient or whatever but my dad i think had an incredible grasp on grace and speaking of grace uh, yeah. You experienced some of his grace after you were arrested <laughs> on the evening news. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I was um, perchance by an event that was happening in Sydney and it had to do with the legalization of marijuana at the time. And I happened to lean into that space at that time in my life mm-hmm. and was handed some you know, a marijuana joint and handed it on to someone else. And um, I was grabbed from behind by a police officer and I was arrested and charged. And it was just a, you know, I had no idea that it was as big a deal as it, it was at the time. But yeah, I was put into a cell for a little bit. I was released and then I was late. And usually we had dinner together. So I rang my home and I said, hey, you know, dad, I'm sorry, I was working back and I just lied to him. And he said, Tim, it's already been on the evening news. Oh, and wow. I, <laughs> no getting away with that. What, no, exactly. But when I got home, uh, I walked into a house that I was still welcoming and my dad actually took off his clerical collar and put it on the table and just said, Tim, I'm with you in this as your dad. And he took off what I would consider any boundary or separation between what might be considered a religious role and that role of grace and love as a dad. And I just, I I guess what I saw in that moment, looking back at it, I don't think I realized it right then, Mm -hmm. um, but was the father heart of God who Mm. doesn't distance himself from our difficulties but leans into them and embraces us in them Mm -hmm. so um, that has shaped a lot of the way i think i choose to love people as well yeah you describe it as a revelation of the heart of god and his grace yeah wow from your own father that's that's a wonderful thing to learn from your father oh absolutely and he didn't just show it to us i mean we we were disciplined as well don't get me wrong i Mm -hmm. i I knew the hand of discipline because, you know, God also engages that, but he does it with this incredible measure of love and grace. But I also saw him live that way to people in the community, live it to my friends who were also often in difficult, you know, places in life. But he he loved them incredibly. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I have, you know, a time when I came to my faith, uh, and I had seen that picture of the most people would probably see of Jesus with a little lamb around his shoulders and mm-hmm. bringing it back to the fold. And I, I had a friend uh, that we used to get in a bit of trouble together. Uh, we had been affiliated also with the Sydney skinhead movement, which is 
you know, a messy place to find yourself. But my dad never shied away from welcoming those kids in our home. And, you know, one night, one of those fellas uh, and myself ended up, you know, passed out drunk on someone's front lawn that belonged to my dad's church. And mm. <laughs> my dad got the phone call oh, and wow. said, come and get your son off my lawn. Yeah. And you know, I remember, uh, you know, I didn't know any of this was happening at the time. And I woke up, so it came to with my dad's hand on my back, lifting me up and getting me in the vehicle. But then I saw him walk off into the night. I saw him in the headlights of his car. He walks off into the night and comes back with my friend literally over his shoulder and my friend's kicking and yelling and swearing at him. And my dad put him in the car and drove him home. And when I look back now and I, and I see that picture of a shepherd, however much in our culture, a man in a tunic with a sheep around his shoulders is a little bit distant. Hmm. And I, I, I realized, man, I saw that guy. I, yeah. I saw Jesus carrying my friend out literally out of the darkness and <laughs> gets him home safely. And, so they're the sorts of things I've, I saw my my dad do. Yeah, what what a beautiful picture of unconditional love. Because unlike the sheep that's just passive, being carried by Jesus, yeah. this was yeah. a rebellious kid who's yelling at your dad, <laughs> and he's still doing it. Yeah, yeah. and he's still carrying him. And yeah. then, you know, my friend turned up the next day at our place because he knew he was welcome, and he's very. You know, not much pun intended, but sheepishly comes into the house <laughs> and he's just he's just like, Yeah, Mr. Lovelum, you know, I'm sorry. And dad's like, That's fine. Come on, let's have a cup of tea and sits him down, has a cup of tea with him. Yeah. And you know, and, and I think sometimes we miss that that part mm-hmm. of the nature of God who will yeah. leave the ninety nine to go after the, the one who, you know, is lost and Bring them yeah. home. So I, I think in the ministries through the years that I've engaged in and had the opportunity to be involved in, that definitely has become a key theme of it. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to understand how your father shaped who you are and your view of ministry. Let's go back to your own personal development. Apparently you yep. went to a Leighton Ford crusade in Sydney and that had a huge impact on you? Yeah, years ago. And, and I actually went because my dad asked me to go and out of respect for him and out of that relationship, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go. But I was, I was pretty, you know, honestly pigheaded at the time. And I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to answer any call or be moved. I'm here because my dad asked me to come and mm-hmm. come as a family. And, but I remember as he began to speak on this prodigal, you know, I recognize now the spirit of God began to, you know, really, speak to my heart and that that call of a father who was looking for his kid to return mm. who'd squandered his life and his blessing and um and it really began a, a call to me but i still had a mindset that i was going to fix myself i was going to quit the addictions i had at the time i was going to you know get my life in order and then it would all be okay and it just didn't and it, it just almost got worse after that for a short period of time until I left Australia to try and discover, you know, what life meant. And I had a fella who was associated with Youth with a Mission who I spoke to. He was in Sydney um, at a similar time of the Leighton Ford Crusade. And I'd known him as a kid and he had 
left Australia, he'd come to a faith in Jesus himself and had joined an organisation called Youth with a Mission. And, uh, and he just looked me square in the eye and he said, Tim, you need Jesus. And however much I grinned and even laughed at the idea at the time, it just resonated with something so deep inside of me that I really needed Jesus. Mm. And, and so I left Australia and I travelled with, I met my brother over in uh, the UK and then we travelled in Mexico together. And uh, this, the thing that I found, doesn't matter where you go, the same things are there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And until you actually make a decision to surrender your, your life to Jesus, there really isn't a lot of liberty. Um, you tend to be bound to other things. And so in the end, he was in Colorado in the USA, this, this fellow with you for the mission. And I said, look, I'm going to, go and visit him. My brother continued back to Australia. I went to Colorado. And I, at his invitation, came and did a discipleship training school. And for me, that was a little bit of a last resort thing. I had this sense of, okay, if Jesus can do anything, I'm at the point I'm willing to, you know, even attempt that. And uh, it was during that time with you through the mission that I really, really encountered Jesus. And, and he transformed my life. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Tim Lovell, who's joining us from his home on the Sunshine Coast and is sharing his life journey. We've just heard how the Lord began to transform his life. Next, we'll hear more of Tim's story and how the events of his life shaped his approach to ministry. All that and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with Tim Lovell, who's joining us from his home on the Sunshine Coast. Before the break, we heard Tim's journey to becoming a Christian and the role his father played. Next, we're going to hear how his past experiences have influenced his unique approach to ministry as Tim continues to share his story. That ministry then connected me with a local church and I ended up in the leadership team on that local church after years of being there and, uh, yeah, began a whole new course of my life. Before you continue your story, I'm just wondering, mm. what was your dad's reaction when he found out his son had come home, so to speak? <laughs> he was, yeah, he was stoked. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, and I, I, my dad is still alive, although he's in, you know, old age care. Uh-huh. Um you know, he still just has such a beautiful, simple faith. Hmm. And um, my mum, before she passed away, had held on to the promise from Jeremiah that says, you know, it's, it's from the scripture that says, a voice is heard crying in Ramah for her children are gone. But, you know, I hear that, you know, that the Lord says, don't weep for all your children will return from the land of the enemy. And she held on to that hmm. as a promise for her own kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right before her death, you know, all my brothers had come to a faith in christ so oh, wow. fantastic yeah so it's really been an amazing journey for, for all of them but yeah my dad's very grateful for the grace of god so continuing your story 
we'll have to fast mm-hmm. forward to you become a pastor in Denver. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was invited to, uh, with the local church I was attending, I began working with a youth group uh, in a voluntary state and then um, did that for a couple of years, ended up marrying my wife in that church. I was invited into a part-time staff role, which became full-time, which became, you know, leadership role. I was there for 18 years in the end. And um, then during that time, my passion for people just grew. I mm-hmm. loved the young people in our community. I just served all over the place within the church and and in the community. And that's that's the thing that I began to realize is often my feeling, and it's not a criticism, but I feel like often in the church we're waiting for people to come to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we do invitational services and we do all sorts of things on our Sundays and, you know, provide things during the week where we can, but it's all this, you know, come to me and how do we get people to come rather than going, man, where can I find a voice in our neighborhood, in our community? Because I think as I began to understand more about Jesus, the more he went out of his way to mm. sit with people, yeah. eat with people, serve people. And it was always where they were. It's on, you know, hillsides and, you know, at weddings and all over the place. So I I began to probably live ministry out like that. I spent often more time in the local Starbucks than I did my own church office huh. because people weren't coming to my office. So I'd go to them and just build a relationship with them. And along those lines, your church purchased the Colorado Athletic Club. Tell us about that. We had a school that was growing quite a lot and we needed to expand the campus and that came available to us and we purchased it. And I remember when, as part of the leadership team, I went and looked at it, I just had this incredible sense of, oh, my goodness, we, if we maintain a part of this centre as an athletic club, we can serve our community. We can become the community pool. We can become the community fitness. We can, you know, coach soccer, you know, you know, we can coach little league teams and our mm-hmm. school kids become coaches and swim teachers and lifeguards and had all this vision and I wrote this thing and in the end we didn't do it we turned it into a school and and that was the original purpose so there was no you know begrudging that but it ignited something in me that began to ask this question of where is our place in not just finding doorways into our church building for people but finding ways that we become servants of our community mm. and tangible connection points with their everyday life. Yeah. And so that that was really born in me. And although it didn't happen there, uh, probably just a few years later, we had this sense and the church sent us back to Australia where I was from. And I never thought I'd come back here. But, you know, looking back, you can see that God was really doing some unique things and uh, we came back to Australia, didn't know what for at the time. We just got on the plane and came with their backing. And through a series of events, ended up in the Good Life Community Centre at one of their morning gatherings. And we literally walked in and this vision that I had had in Colorado just came alive in this place that had already been built with a small gym and I learned a swim pool and a basketball stadium. So it just fit right in with that vision you yeah, had. Absolutely. It was actually the fulfillment of that. Um, uh-huh. But at the time, it was struggling 
to function because when people often when people try and operate this model um the center is seen through the eyes of what is the cash resource that it's bringing into the church for ministry and how many people are making it into the sunday service from attending this center and i feel and this is where i, I probably differ from different people's approaches but i feel when we're looking at it like that we're asking the wrong questions mm. um when we see it as a cash resource to the church for ministry or we see it as a big lobby to just get people through so they can find their way into sunday um uh, i think our emphasis can quickly end up in the wrong places and where would you put the emphasis then uh, i i believe it should flow the other way i think the church i think our resources our time our effort should as much be spent in that center um as much as waiting again for them to find their way into the church like i don't mind where people meet jesus so long as they meet jesus and mm-hmm. i've found myself over the years praying for people more in the cafe or around the gym or by the pool because that's where everyday life is happening and when i encounter someone who's you know gone through a broken marriage or whatever um in the swim school i'm not waiting to say hey maybe come sunday because we're going to be talking about you know hope you know i'm just like man can i pray for you oh yeah right here yeah. and and it, and it just becomes an expression of mm-hmm. jesus right in that everyday context and yeah. like i could give you a story without using names but um i had a kid that i was teaching and his younger brother in a couple of different classes because i made myself a swim teacher i went and got my credentials <laughs> Uh, um because i just saw it as an opportunity to literally be with people and so i had this this family that i was teaching and they said to me oh you know this is going to be our last lesson because um you know the kids dad has left and he's not going to pay for their lessons anymore and um, um you know can't yeah. afford that and and i just looked at this mom and, and i just said hey um your kids don't need to leave because this is your place of belonging and you're not here because you're a resource to us so when this lesson is finished i'm going to hand you on to our swim school coordinator and we're going to sponsor your kids for the next year to come and do lessons and man she just bursts into tears and he's wow. like what i don't understand that and it's it's like well you got to understand that you're not a resource to us this is a resource to you and if i can help you know carry your kids through this season of life let's do that yeah and and it really just becomes a way to serve our community and i have stories like that over and over and over again where we just where we give memberships away and mm-hmm. or we give because it it's providing someone with refuge in a difficult season of life and gym trainers we find are just as well informed as hairdressers about huh. where people's lives are at oh wow yeah that's that's interesting it's a way to serve them mm mm-hmm. Now, we started off this conversation today talking about your unique job description that besides mm. the ordinary responsibilities of a pastor, you had some out-of-the-ordinary responsibilities yep. like lifeguarding, which we're hearing yep. about, teaching swimming lessons, which we're also hearing about, but then also pastoring rock musicians. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're running out of time, but can you talk about some uh, of these other out-of-the-ordinary aspects to your position? Yeah, again, it, it came from just loving at the time it was these kids there were kids in a youth program that i ran and uh they 
wanted to do music. And at the time, I think predominantly our churches would say, well, get on the worship team or get on this. And, uh, and I just said to these kids, look, wherever you go, I'm going to be in the audience, you know, I'll be there. And, and a lot of them went in all sorts of different directions and not necessarily even Christian places. But I, I was always true to that. And I said, look, I, I will come. And so I'd go to their shows. And in the end, um, one of the bands made it into quite a significant place in, you know, in the world music scene. And they contacted me because I just walked life with them so much and said, hey, would you, would you keep walking life with us and come and tour with us? And it, oh, it, wow. it's put me in all sorts of places in this world. Um, that I never would have expected, but they're places I believe Jesus would go, and so I, I willingly go as well. Well, I guess you could sum it all up by your philosophy that people matter. Exactly. People matter. And so we should find a way to make that a realistic statement for them to grab a hold of, because we can say it all we like, but mm -hmm. if our life doesn't actually communicate it, um, if they only matter in a Sunday space or they only matter in a um you know a church context and and they don't have much standing until they get there then i think we miss the point and sometimes showing love means helping somebody learn how to swim yeah absolutely and sometimes that's the job description of a unique type of pastor <laughs> it is tim level thank you so much for sharing your story with us today my pleasure thanks for having me that was eric scatterbo having a chat with tim lovell who joined us today from his home on the Sunshine Coast. Tim was the pastor of Good Life Church for 15 years. And if you'd like to learn more about this unique church, you can go to their website, goodlife.org.au. Once again, that's goodlife.org.au. And I would have to say that after hearing Tim's story, my mind keeps going back to what he shared about his father picking up one of his drunk friends and carrying him into the light, kicking and screaming when he really didn't deserve to be helped. But that is such a perfect picture of God's love for us. As the Bible says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it also reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, where the father lovingly welcomes his son home after he wasted away all of his inheritance. This is the heart of God. And as we've heard God's grace is what has inspired Tim's approach to ministry. Tim says it all comes down to the simple belief that people matter. And of course, that's reflected in God's love that's like a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep behind to find the one that's lost. This should be our priority also because people matter. Well, thanks for joining us for Tim's rather unique story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. You know, I've always said that people will forget great wins. They'll forget forehands and backhands mm. and great serves and great points. But if you touch a person's life, particularly for Christ, it will stay with that person not only through the rest of this life, but on into eternity. And that, that is so much more. That is so much greater than, than any tournament victory and any French Open and any Grand Slam and than any ranking you could ever possibly get. Tennis great Michael Chang won the 1989 French Tennis Open when he was only 17 years old and had a successful career despite being shorter than virtually all of his opponents. He'll share the role his faith has played in his life in helping him overcome adversity. Next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 